At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? All right, all right, all right. All right, hey, we're in church. Stop having fun. Everyone sit down. We're in church. Stop it. Stop it. We're, this is serious. Stop having so much fun in church. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do that here. Hey, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. It's great to see you guys. Um, like Winston said, my name is Dave Varga. I'm just on the teaching team. I'm not a staff member or anything like that. We just have a group of men that get to preach once in a while. So um, a few things quick is that I didn't know Winston was going to be back. So um, that goes that page. <laughs> yeah, about that. <laughs> We're going to just leave that over there. I didn't know he was going to be here today. <laughs> so um, yeah, this, this morning as we kind of we're starting a new series, and this series is going to be very serious. I'm kind of making light of it at the moment because it's kind of funny when, you know, we can make fun of Pastor Winston. We got to do it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really, it's a serious series, um, and it's one that weighs heavy on my heart, so heavy that my son, here's another just real funny thing. This morning when I was leaving, I was saying goodbye to the kids, and my middle son says, hey, Dad, good luck on your sermon. Make sure it's good. So... <laughs> The bar has been set pretty high by my nine-year-old. So um, this morning, we're starting a brand new series called Church, Why Bother? Yeah, it gets serious real quick, doesn't it? Because I think we've all, and if you haven't been around church long enough, you, you might have not gone through this, but if you have been, it, it's, a, it's a phrase that kind of sits heavy on our hearts. If you will, the church took quite the gut punch um, during covid you know, before COVID hit, and I hate using that as the excuse, but it was the perfect excuse to not come anymore. It was the perfect excuse to stay home. And yes, we should have, but nobody came back. In fact, if Gallup, who, uh, they, they're a polling company, and they've been polling churches since 1937. And for the first time since then, church attendance has fallen under 50%. We're at 47% right now. It gets even worse when we get to the younger generations. The millennials, it's 36% of them are churched. And so the prayer this morning as we go through this series especially is that maybe we'll find a new, a new hope in what church should be and what we should act like and be like in church. And, and hear me, we're going through the book of 1 Timothy. It's not going to be easy. If you've ever read through that book, it will not be easy to read through, but it's going to challenge us. It's going to stretch us in the prayers that when we come out on the other side, that we'll have a newfound hope and a newfound desire to be in church. And the prayer for this morning is to get the foundation of who is writing this book, why he's writing it, and why we should listen to him, and ultimately what the church should look like. And the big idea this morning is simply this. The church is a family that upholds the truth and spreads the gospel. And dare I say, maybe switch it a bit, is that the church should be a family that should uphold the truth and should spread the gospel. And so this morning, as we dig into 1 Timothy, 
that is the prayer that we start to understand what church is and why we do church. So let's read Paul, uh, 1 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Not a whole lot of scripture this morning, but important scripture. We read this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. And the first thing that we're going to see when we talk about why do we go to church, see the problem with church is we should be a family. Right? Point number one is we should be a family. Or it says we are a family. But here's the thing with family. You can't pick your family. You can pick your friends, right? Much like you can't pick your family, but you can pick your church. And, and what we see is happening is this, is that people are just church jumping left, right, all over. They're trying to find a, a church that suits them. And I don't disagree with that. When I looked up the top 10 reasons why people leave church, um, the two top ones made sense to me a bit. Um, not okay, but they made sense. The first one was they graduated from high schools. My parents made me go. I graduated from high school. I went to college, and I just stopped going. Two was we moved, and we just never found a church that, really, that we liked. We just kind of stopped going that way. And then as it kind of went down, it kind of got, if I dare say, maybe a bit ridiculous as why people were leaving. The kids' area didn't have what we wanted for our kids. The church up the street had a water park in it, right? Um, yeah, right? Like they had a slide and bubble machines and all that kind of stuff so that, you know, our kids like that better, you know? Um, the pastor left, so we left. Okay, I, I you know, understand, still not sure. Um, the music was either too modern or not modern enough. Um, it was too loud. It was too dark. It was too light. Like, I mean, these are top 10 reasons why people were leaving churches. In, in the the thing that kind of, I giggled, but it hurt a bit, was not one of the top 15 said we left because of the lack of theology. We left because the lack of doctrine. No, it was, we left because it didn't fit what we wanted. It didn't fit our needs and what we liked. And, and so when we look at church as a family, we have to understand that it's so important to, to sit back and go, why are we doing it? Like, really rewind that a bit, take a seat, rethink of why we do it. Because when you look at what Paul writes here, Timothy, my true child in the faith, that's family. He's, that's his son in the faith. And how many of us can sit here and say, I have a true child in the faith that I'm discipling? And I, I, when you, if you're going to raise your hand, careful. Because that, that's, that's a big shoes to fill that you could say, there's a guy that I've discipled. And I know there's a few people here. I know there's a couple guys that lead big ministries that have discipled so many men. And yet those guys would not raise their hands like, I could do better. And so we are a family. And so as we kind of break into First Timothy, who is this guy, Paul, that writes this letter? Okay, so Paul, when you first meet Paul, this is a history lesson, and some of us know it, but if you don't know it, my, it's good just to hear it for the first time. Paul, we first meet Paul in Acts chapter 13. Okay, he goes from Saul to Paul there. Him and Barnabas are going out, they're preaching the word, and that's the first time that we actually see the name Paul. So he was Saul before he was Paul. Changed his name a bit. We first meet Saul in Acts chapter 9. Saul is going up to Jerusalem. He gets a degree signed that he can go and basically 
do anything in his power to stop the movement of this Jesus church thing going on. And so he gets the decree. He's on his way to Damascus. All this is in Acts chapter 9. And halfway, three-quarters of the way there, he has an encounter. We were at a, um, a, a funeral a few weeks back, and, and the pastor started the, the, the sermon with, Jesus changed everything. And for, Paul, for Saul, Jesus was about to change everything. He had this encounter with Jesus. Now, Jesus already, I understand, he was... He was crucified, he was raised from the dead, and now he's in glory with God in heaven. And he speaks to Paul, or Saul, and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul just freaking, or Saul, I keep saying Paul, Saul, because he is Paul. But Saul, having that moment, says, who are you, Lord? And he says, it is I, Jesus, whom you crucify, or who you persecute. Stop it. So they have this conversation back and forth. Saul is made to be blind for three days, and he gets to Damascus. And the church leaders have an encounter with Jesus as well. Ananias has a conversation with him and says, with, with Jesus, and Jesus tells him, go find this man, Saul. And, and if you knew what Saul was doing, it was awful. He would come into this building right now, and anybody who would, not, who would say, yes, Jesus is Lord, beaten to moments of your life and thrown in prison. That's who Saul was, okay? So when Jesus tells Ananias, go to Saul, he is this, I need you to go to him. Can you imagine the conversation that Ananias has with Jesus at the moment? Like, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I know a lot of guys that don't really, you know, you know what he's doing to us. And Jesus in, in Acts 15 tells Ananias this, this man is my chosen instrument to convey my name before the Gentiles, before the kings and before the Jews. Jesus chose Saul to go and spread the gospel to everyone. And so when we read Timothy, we have to under, understand the authority at which Paul has when he writes these letters. And so the, the book of Timothy, Timothy is a pastor now, a church leader in, in the Ephesian church, right, in Ephesus. And Paul has a special place for Ephesus. as one of the places where he stopped and started a church. And it was the megachurch capital back then. Ephesus was huge. They had people all over, just massive churches following this Christ Jesus. And so as you would have it, as the church grows, more people come, as more people come, different leadership changes. And you have this group of men that are starting to lead people astray by false doctrines. And so Paul has to write them a letter in Ephesians. Stop it. This is who you were, right, before you knew Jesus, but God, that amazing verse that says, but God, rich in mercy, saved you. This is what you ought to act like, okay? It doesn't stop. They continue. They continue to let different people into their leadership, and the church is kind of, they're quarrelsome, leading people astray. So he sends Timothy, his child in the faith, to go to Ephesus and sort things out. And so who is, again, who's Saul? Like Saul, when you look at it, Paul so many times has to defend himself. Saul never had to. Saul was the utmost guy. So here's who this guy Saul slash Paul was. In, in the church of Philippi, or Philippians, if you read that, he's defending himself. This is what people were saying. Oh, he's great at penmanship. Oh, he can write letters like nobody else. But when he's here, man, he's kind of soft-spoken. He's weak. Right? And so Paul has this, he has this little discussion with them. 
when it comes to who he was when it came to the flesh. Right? Like, if you're going to boast in who you are here, let me tell you how I can boast, Paul says. On the eighth day, I was circumcised. Very traditional. I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. This is an elite group of people. Right? He was the Hebrew of Hebrews on his way to being a Pharisee. Which I know when we say the word Pharisee nowadays, it's a kind of a, there's, there's bad to it, right? Like, oh, you're a Pharisee. Um, back then, they were, the church, they were the highest of the highest. He's on his way to be there. He, he says, if I have to boast in the flesh, let me tell you, I do it. You have nothing to boast in. And then the verse right after, he goes, but I count it all as lost. All that stuff in this world, I count as lost. This is who Paul was. And he writes this letter to Timothy, basically saying this, and we'll get to it. The whole purpose of this is so you understand how some might act in the church, how one should act when they're in the house of God. And the first thing, like I said, we're a family. And it's so easy to say, but the reality is, if I could say it, we're not. We want to say that we are, and some of us are. Some people, they do this little thing, but are we really a family? Are we willing to forsake our things for others? Acts chapter 2, when they sold all their items and were doing life together. Like, are we willing to do that? The, the family takes care of themselves. And the family, they, they back each other up. Does that make sense? So when we get to point number two is upholding the truth. Hear me when we say this. We don't back each other up when it comes to upholding the truth. We like the, the non-confrontational kinds of things. And, and as we read the family concept, we really have to sit back. We have to dig our heels in and start to think about, are we really that family that we need? Do we have each other's backs? Do we support each other? Do we love on each other? And, and yes, we do meal trains and all those things, and man, that is amazing to do. But when it comes to having each other's backs, when it comes to spreading the gospel, it is terrifying to think, do we have each other's backs then? Because in Acts 3, we're going to read this. Jump with me, Acts 3, verse 14. It says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to act in the household of God, which is the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of truth. And when we think of the idea of a pillar, you guys understand what a pillar is. There's one right there and there's one over here. But a buttress is a support beam to that pillar. Okay? So we are to support the church. We are that pillar of truth when people come to talk to us. And when I say that word truth, it's 2023. Truth is subjective anymore, isn't it? It's difficult you have little kids. When we were growing up, two plus two is a simple four. It's not anymore. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to even get to that. I said, I'm like, I don't know, bro. Like, Google it, right? I, I, but, but so many people, I was having a conversation with somebody I knew really well today, and we were actually discussing this. And they had the audacity to say, yeah, it's true, but truth is kind of subjective, isn't it? It's not. When it comes to the Bible, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, there's no subjective truth when it comes to this word of God. Again, if you don't believe in it, fine, you can argue subjectiveness, but if you are a true believer, a Christ follower, the truth is in here, period. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God. Yeah. 
There's so many places in the Bible where it talks about this being true. Psalms talks about it all the time. When David wrote, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 19, Psalms 119, 105, your, thy word, right? We know that song. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you grew up in church, we sing that song all the time. Is it? Is it really that lamp to my feet? Is it really the light to my path? Do we read it when we're going through things in life? Do we read it when we're not going through things in life? But as truth would be subjective, it, it gets to this point where we don't have to really uphold to the, the, this word of God. We make it what we want. We make God what we want, don't we? Because there's a group of people that just, they, that we should be loving. We, and if, if God is love, we are love and love, we should love. It still doesn't make sense to me. I say it a million times. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. We're making God into something that we want, that fits our needs, that fits our wants. And don't get me wrong, there's that other camp that's God is just. And he's only just. And he's going to rule with an iron fist. Because that fits what I want. Idolatry. We're making God into what we want. When we think of idols, we think of golden images or, or big houses or cars or stuff in these days. But what if an idol was us making God into what we wanted rather than what he truly is? Because understand, he's 100% love, just like he's 100% just. And as much as he is just, he is wise. And as much as he is wise, he is holy. He is all those at one time. And if we take him and compartmentalize him into one little thing, we're creating an idol of a God that is more than that. And so we have to be careful when we uphold the truth. The truth is so much more than what we just want. The truth is the whole Bible. And there's a group out there, I mean, this, this, this idea of we're just going to deconstruct the Bible, it's a movement. If you haven't heard of it, it's terrifying. It's really terrifying to think of how they're deconstructing the Word of God. They're saying things like this. These are people that have been leading churches for a long time, that the Old Testament is just irrelevant. That, hey, we're only going to read the red letters. There's a red letter Bible only. We're just going to follow what Jesus says because if Jesus didn't say it, then we don't have to do it because that's, that's, he's God. But if that's all you're doing is just reading the red letters and you're ignoring the Old Testament, you start to think things like Jesus is the creator of salvation. He came up with the idea. It was his idea. It was his plan. But when you read the whole Bible for what it was, it only takes three chapters to realize whose plan it really was. And Paul says it here in verse one. He says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior. God the Father saves. Genesis chapter 3, when God saw that Adam and Eve were naked, or they realized they were, and he had that conversation with the serpent, what did he say to the serpent? I will create enmity between you and her offspring. He will bruise your heel, Jesus on the cross, but Jesus, the Son of God, will bruise your head and end it all. See, God's the reason he put that salvation process into motion years before Jesus was here. Our hope is in Christ. He was the, re he was, he was the what took us through that. His death, resurrection, right, was the reason that we can be saved because it's God's plan for us. But if we only want to read what we want to read, we miss that. We can't take that for granted. The whole truth, we are to uphold the whole truth. And it's, uh, it's so hard because you know, people were like, well, that's your truth. It's not my truth. 
No, it's not my truth. It's what the Bible says. You, can, you always have to do that. Or you're right. Like if it's me saying what I feel and what I want, you're right. There's argument's sake there. But when it's in the word of God, there's no real gray area. And we can argue gray areas all you want. There isn't. It is the word of God, completely true. And we are to uphold to it. So when we go to the next point, which is we are to spread the gospel, right? If we don't uphold to the truth of what the Bible is, how do we spread the gospel? Is it a false gospel that we're spreading? Is it a gospel that kind of fits our needs and fits the needs of our congregation? That's where the terrifying part comes, is when we allow the word of God to be subjective, when we go and spread the word of God to other people, are we really spreading the true gospel to them? Are we really letting them see who God really is? And when it comes to spreading the gospel, read again in in chapter 3 here, verse 16, it says this, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. We are to confess that. And then Paul breaks down that mystery very, very easily for us. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. And breaking those whole, all those down was he was manifest in the, in the flesh. What does that mean? He was, he was God in heaven. He had it all. He had every ounce of everything you could ever imagine, and he decided to become man. So he was manifest, manifest in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit, meaning the Spirit supported and, and, and confirmed that he is the Son of God. So the Spirit vindicated him that way. He was seen by angels. All of Jesus' walk on this earth, angels were around. At the birth of Jesus, the, the joy, the party that ensued in heaven when Jesus was born, only to be, if you think of the others, of, of the demons that were terrified and trying to find this baby savior and what that must have been like. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by, seen by angels when he was tempted in the wilderness, when he was, the tomb was being guarded by angels, angels all around him. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, Paul being one of them. Right? Saul had it all. You guys understand that. I mean, think about ourselves. So many people have so much stuff here. We most of us have two cars. Most of us have a nice house that has air conditioning, heat, all that kind of Give all that up and just go and spread the gospel. Where you eat, don't know. Where you sleep, don't know. God's going to show me the way. That's what Paul did. He had it all. And he gave it up to spread the gospel. He's been proclaimed among the nations and believed on in the world. There's no religion outside of this one that has been tried to, that people have tried to stop it. Over and over, people, kings, rulers have tried to stop this gospel from going out, and they could not, proclaimed over the world, and Jesus taken up into glory. Can you imagine what that would have been like to watch him ascend into heaven? The beauty of that. And so when we sit there and we think of these three points, hear hear my heart when I say this, we have to really take into, into account what it really means. Count the cost of being what a family, of upholding the truth. And the truth cannot be subjective when it comes to the Bible. It cannot be. I can't say that loud enough and, and, and aggressive enough. It cannot be subjective. 
You know, if we're to repent and believe, and that's how we are saved, so many people come like, I believe, I believe, I believe in God, I believe in God. James chapter 2, even the demons believe and they tremble. We believe and we make mockery of it. We joke around like it's some goofy little thing that we do. This is serious. When it comes to upholding the truth, that point to me is the biggest. Spreading the gospel, I'll be honest, we're not bad at. We could be better. Being a family, not bad at, could be better. Upholding to the truth and the whole truth of it all, that's where we're lacking. Because it's so easy just to say we believe, but we make a mockery of it. Because nothing else happens after that. We just go on living our lives. With, with, hear me, when it comes to doctrine and theology, do you understand how important that is to really follow? Because we watch TV shows. There's TV shows out there that are about Jesus, written by people who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And we watch that. And I'm not saying that you can't watch it, but you have to be careful when you watch it, because why? You're making an idol of God. They're, they're watering down who Jesus really is. He's goofing around and he's playing around. Like, do you understand the seriousness of why Jesus was here? The music that we listen to, and I'm not saying secular music. I'm talking about music that is written by other churches and Christians. You understand that the theology behind it, you're creating something that is not. And I'll pick on one song specifically. Forgive me, this is towing the line, I know, because I do not want to offend for the sake of offending. But when we say things like, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. How dare we? How dare we say God is reckless? Right? That's teaching my kids who love that song, that our God is reckless. He's not reckless. Everything he has is planned out. The idea of salvation was planned out in Genesis chapter 3, thousands of years before it actually happened. He's not reckless. Everything he's done is perfectly sought through and in line with what he's planned. We're reckless. We make poor decisions. We jump in headfirst without counting the cost. Our God is not a reckless God. And when we do those things, like when we allow those things, I know, I've had conversations with people. It's not a big deal. It's okay. why, Why are you so worked up about just one word? One word leads to two words, leads to four words, leads to an entire group of people, an entire generation that now thinks that God somehow closes his eyes and hopes for the best. That is not who he is at all. That is not, he's eyes wide open, following, seeing, doing everything according to his plan that he set into motion before the world was even created, before we were even born. That's his plan. And so we have to understand when we come as a family here that we have to uphold the truth. We got to be careful. Pastor Winston does a great job of it, but we, but we have to still always discern in the spirit what are we listening to? What are we watching? Dare I say this, that I would rather listen to secular music than music that is theologically off base. It's, it's, it's not okay. We have to hold strong to these theologies, hold strong to these truths, so that when we do spread the gospel to our neighbors, and it's not the church's job to do that. It's our job as the church. And when I say the church, I don't want to say, it's not just us. The church is the whole church of the United States. Please hear when I say that. 
But it's just inviting people here and hoping that they're going to hear the gospel here. They need to see the gospel in us. They need to see it. My neighbors need to know that I'm different. And why am I different? Because I'm a child of the Most High God. Not only am I an heir, but I'm a co-heir with Christ in heaven. They need to see that. They need to feel that. When we invite them over to dinner, they need to see it. We can't just keep counting on our pastors and our assistant pastors and the worship team to hold those things when we invite people to church. Yes, invite to church so they can hear more of it. They need to see it in us. And the only way to do that is to, be, to have a good backing. Right? A family that helps push you to hold strong to those truths. When you're on an island all by yourself, it's terrifying to stand up to people. It, it's terrifying. When you're in a neighborhood of a bunch of secular people that don't know God at all, and you're by yourself there, it's hard. That's why we need this. We need a family to support us. And hear me, not make fun of. Because we're terrible at that as Christians. We make fun of guys and women who uphold the truth and the whole truth and they want to live a life according to the purpose at which God has called them. And like, oh, he's so holy. Look at how awesome he is. I wish we could, oh, he, all he does is sit around and read his Bible. We make fun of that? How dare us? When we defend the truth, hey, you're being too harsh. Stop being too harsh with it. Like, we need to back each other up. We need to be a family with it. Support each other. Be there for us and we don't do it. That's the fear. And we do a great job of taking care of each other here, but do we do a great job of taking care of each other out there when we're all by ourselves at work? That's why Band of Brothers and this women's ministry and all those things are so important so that we can create relationships so that when things are tough, we have each other's backs. We have to do that. We do that if, if we're upholding the truth, if we're committed to upholding the truth, spreading the gospel becomes easier. Living our lives in that realm becomes easier. And so the prayer this morning is simply this, that, that as we continue through this series, you are going to hear things that stretch your mind, that make you think, that, that make you go, ah, I don't know. Paul, one of the most authoritative figures in the New Testament, writes to us, this is how we ought to act in the household of God. And as Pastor Winston's going to do and Pastor Lorena's going to do the same thing, they're going to say things that, again, are tough. We as a church are a family. Let's dig our heels in, hear it well, and, and, and put it here in our hearts so that we can take it there. Let us be different. May we be a church that's different than other churches. Can I say that? Can we be different can we uphold to the truth so much that when we go out there, people will see it, they will feel it, and they will feel the love that God had for us, that he would save us to come down from heaven, all the glory put aside, 100% God, 100% man, to die on the cross for every person in this room. May we be a church that radiates that, that proclaims it from the mountaintops. I am a child of the most high God and we love you guys, and we want you to have the same relationship with God that we have. Let's pray. Dear God, a holy heavenly Father, in this, in this day, this morning, Lord, we just pray that, I don't know, God, that we just don't leave here unchanged. There's so often times we listen to sermons, that we listen to different pastors preach, and we know that um, 
It's easy to say amen and yes and, and in our hearts even say it here. How much harder is it to do it at home, God? So we pray for family as a church. We pray for truth. Complete truth, not subjective truth, God. Not what we want to make. It help us to truly understand who you are and what you've done for us and not to water it down for our sake or for the sake of offending people, Lord, but just to live a life that radiates your glory, that radiates your love, and that shows everyone what you've done for so many people in this room, God. We want to glorify you. We want to worship you, not for feeling good about ourselves, God, but for the sake of glorifying you. Help us be a church that has a changed heart, a changed mind for you always. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.